Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by MongoDB. As a software engineer, chances are you've crossed paths with MongoDB at some point, whether you're building an app for millions of users or just figuring out a side hustle or a new project. As the most popular non-relational database, MongoDB is intuitive and incredibly easy for development teams to use. Now, with MongoDB Atlas, you can take advantage of MongoDB's flexible document data model as a fully automated cloud service. MongoDB Atlas handles all the costly database operations and admin tasks that you'd rather not spend time on, like security, high availability, data recovery, monitoring, and elastic scaling. So go try MongoDB Atlas today. You can visit mongodb.com slash cloudcast to learn more. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's having a good uh, March as we go along. Hope the spring's starting to to get to you in terms of the weather. Um, you know, kind of a, an interesting week, uh, a little bit of, of here and there in terms of the news. We're going to get to Cloud News of the Week here real quickly. I want to thank MongoDB Atlas for being a new sponsor to the show. Excited to have them to be a sponsor of the Cloudcast. Um, so let's jump right ahead to Cloud News of the Week. A uh, couple of things first out of what would be sort of the cloud native area for people that uh, follow that space. Um, the Continuous Delivery Foundation was announced by the Linux Foundation. So this was announced uh, about 10 days ago or so. Uh, brings together a number of things around the CI/CD space. So especially around continuous delivery. So Jenkins X, uh, Spinnaker, a couple of new projects got announced in this space. So kind of an interesting thing that we've created yet another foundation. Um, sometimes they work out well. Sometimes they can be complicated. But uh, new foundation, very much focused around CI and CD. A uh, little bit of overlap with the CNCF um, because there were some other projects that were over in the CNCF that kind of were in this space as well. So it'll be interesting to see how those two groups work together, uh, if they've worked together as well as the CNCF does with their projects. So something to keep an eye on, the Continuous Delivery Foundation. Uh, the next thing is that Kubernetes version 1.14 was released this week. So it went GA this week. Um, the real big headline that came out of this one, there's usually you know half dozen or so new features, 10 new features. But the real big headline for Kubernetes 1.14 was uh, GA of Windows containers. So now uh, Linux containers obviously been around since 1.0. Uh, Windows containers are now uh, considered a first-class citizen and uh, GA support in 1.14. So for people that are considering uh, containerizing their Windows applications. That is now something that you will begin to see uh, from most of the cloud providers as well as most of the major uh, commercial software vendors adding support for that. Uh, third thing on the list today was uh, Google at the Google or at the uh, sort of Game Developers Conference um, decided to get in the gaming business. So Google uh, made a, a big announcement, a new gaming service called Stadia. Uh, sort of sounds a little bit like Stadium, but Stadia. Uh, the real big thing with this is it is entirely a streaming-based service. So they are very much trying to get away from uh, the boxes, the big hardware that people have to build, gaming systems. Um, and Google is promising that this will be a very, very good experience in terms of they've optimized all the streaming so that uh, it should be somewhat close. So interesting for anybody that's in the gaming space, interested in gaming, uh, Google getting into the gaming space with a new service called Stadia. And then finally, and I'm always curious about how these things are happening. You know, I feel like we're, we're really hitting the second big generation of what's going on with the cloud, the first generation being all the build out of the technology. Obviously, we still see some of that there, but really, uh, you know, 
looking at sort of the second generation of what's happening um, as the cloud is able to disrupt some things. So I thought there was an interesting article. Um, UPS uh, has recently, UPS, the delivery company, uh, you know, what can Brown do for you, the big brown trucks that uh, deliver all your packages. Um, UPS is trying to take advantage of their, um, obviously, expertise in logistics and a huge fleet of transportation trucks and things that will move people around or boxes around. Um, They're actually looking to uh, spin up a new service that will send nurses for in-home vaccinations. So a very interesting concept. Uh, Obviously, we're seeing, you know, Amazon thinking about getting into the transportation business. Uh, People that compete with Amazon, uh, like UPS, are saying, okay, what can we do to expand our core capabilities to maybe move into other things, uh, especially as you have an older generation of people that may need vaccinations. Um, So, you know, definitely an interesting thing to sort of keep an eye on. And and we begin to see this interplay and and changing um, of companies that maybe weren't cloud companies to begin with, getting in to compete against companies that are cloud companies. So all very interesting stuff. Um, Again, you know, it's been an interesting year so far. We've seen acquisitions. We've seen some major announcements. We're seeing the second generation of cloud coming along. So all very, very interesting stuff. And we will have all this in the show notes. So very interesting set of news of the week. Uh, Thank you all for listening to that. We're going to have a very interesting interview coming up next. We're going to dig into some folks who have lived and breathed uh, what we now call SRE and CRE uh, with some folks from Google. So look forward to the interview. Hey, Cloudcast listeners. Before we get to the show, we want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Datadog. You already know that Datadog is a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. But did you know that Datadog is great for your Kubernetes environment as well? Datadog's new cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your Kubernetes clusters, sign up today by going to datadog.com slash cloudcast. Sign up for a free 14-day trial. Try out Datadog with your Kubernetes clusters and get a free t-shirt. So if you want to get more better performance, better visibility out of your Kubernetes environment, go to datadog.com slash cloudcast and try out a free 14-day trial and get your free Datadog t-shirt. And now onto the show. And we're back. You know, folks, one of the things that uh, we're, we're very lucky to get on this show is a really diverse set of topics. Uh, we get a chance to really dig in with, um, you know, things that, that you're interested in. But really importantly, we get to speak with people that have been doing things for a long time and, and, and bring a lot of uh, experience to the table. So today, very, very excited. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, a concept that I know a number of you have asked us to dig into some more, which is the concept of, of SRE. And so very, very excited today to have uh, Gustavo Franco, who is part of the Customer Reliability engineering group at Google and really part of the the company that ultimately created or originally created the whole concept of SRE. So Gustavo, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, So before we get started, before we jump into any of the SRE stuff, you've been at Google for quite a while. Um, Why don't you give folks a little bit of your background, uh, you know, at Google and and more importantly, you know, kind of the things around SRE and and CRE that that really are you're passionate about? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at Google for a total of more than 11 years now, doing pretty much SRE work, as you're just mentioning. And uh, most recently in CRE, I've been working with Google Cloud customers to help them bootstrap their SRE organizations or to just simply adopt SRE best practice. If you're not ready yet to fully commit to an SRE organization, they can just adopt SRE best practices. So CRE, so CRE is a team within the SRE organization. So just to make it clear, so CRE is actually a team of the SRE organization. And the C is for customer. And uh, we, we also, like, we struggle to believe that uh, Google Cloud can move faster if we work with our customers to make their applications uh, more reliable. So that's why the CRE team uh, was created in the first place. 
we uh, it's it basically we realized that it's harder to add uh, more nines of uptime to the platform to the Google Cloud platform uh, forever, right? So how do we do that? Uh, so we basically work with the customers to add nines of uptime to their own application. So uh, the law of diminishing returns gets at play there at the platform level. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, and I know. While there is a lot of new technology that's out there, you know, getting companies to, to understand the change that has to happen with cloud, whether it's changes in your application, changes in your culture, those things don't really just happen automatically. They don't necessarily just come for free. Um, there is some work that has to go on. Um, so, I, you know, I've always looked at the CRE organization and the CRE concept as something that's really important. It's probably as important as the technology itself in, in helping companies to get successful as they move to the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dave Renson, or uh, director, he likes to say that he thinks more and more uh, companies will have to actually adopt the concept of CRE for themselves, right? So not just reasoning about SRE from a server-side standpoint, but thinking about the customer and the customer experience, right? So you can think of this as people start developing applications on top of the Google Cloud Platform and other clouds, and they eventually, those applications, they kind of turn into platforms themselves. So you kind of have this like chain of, you know, platform on top of platform. Well, if you're building a platform, you're going to have customers actually using your platform in interesting ways. So you should probably be thinking about doing CRE as well. That's kind of one step after uh, what, what you do with SRE, basically. Interesting. Interesting. So let's step back a little bit. Um, you've been you've been doing what's called uh, SRE for quite a while, um, you know, even probably before Google was calling it SRE, or at least since a lot of us became familiar with it with the SRE book. Um, you know, kind of, kind of frame SRE, the concept for us. Um, you know, I know sometimes it gets kind of blurred together with stuff like DevOps or, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, kind of give us, having done it for a long time, give us your perspective on SRE and and really kind of what are the core things that, that SRE is, is trying to accomplish, uh, you know, for applications and for platforms. Uh, so SRE is a specialization uh, of software engineering that is focused on reliability, right? So you could see you have security and privacy. Some companies are going to have a security team where, where they're going to have lots of software engineers, but they are focused on security. And you also can have a ton of software engineers focusing on uh, privacy. So what is SRE? So SRE is software engineering focused on reliability, but primarily software engineering. How it got started. So at Google in early 2000s, one of our VPs, Ben Trainer, with one of our SVPs, Urs, they realized that it was going to be too expensive to run our production systems by simply operating. So the old model of just like doing operations and separating development operations, this is way, way before DevOps was a thing, right? So they realized, well, we cannot just separate Dev and Ops and keep hiring more Ops people on and on. So that's how SRE got started. So Ben Trainer likes to say that SRE is what happens when you hire software engineers and you ask them to establish an operational function. And the side effect is they're going to write a lot of automation, right? So they're going to automate, eliminate workflows, et cetera. And uh, one thing that I think it's worth mentioning is that at Google, we believe that SRE is really about one key core principle. 100% availability is the wrong target for any system. It's just too expensive to achieve and sometimes even impossible to achieve in the long run. Uh, in terms of comparing SRE and operations team, I would also say that SRE does operations, uh, but we attempt to cap the operational work that we do uh, at 50%. And there's reasons for that, right? Because if you cap your time off the work that you're doing for at operational at 50%, it means that a set of fact that the other half of your time, you can allocate to soft engineering work, right? And then which kind of soft engineering work? Well, soft engineering work focusing on improving the reliability for the service. We also like to help 
and improve the services, uh, make one change and improve many production services at once. So kind of we talk about horizontal work, horizontal impact. And uh, the difference between, I would say, SRE and DevOps, SRE is also all about getting the developers to do some of the operational workers uh, themselves and also uh, internalize the constraints of production. So trying to uh, uh, include developers in that, in the production process. And that's how we overlap with DevOps. Uh, we, we also like to say that then at, at the end of the day, SRE is an implementation of DevOps. So DevOps is a lot more, I would say, wider in terms of culture uh, and approaches. Um, SRE is an implementation, a highly open implementation of DevOps, but kind of a subset of what DevOps would cover. I also have a, a more detailed reference on the difference between SRE and DevOps. We can add to the, the, the show notes, I think. Yeah, no, that would be great. That would be great. Hey, there's a concept um, in SRE that I, I would love to have somebody sort of explain to me. I've, I've heard it talked about, but I've never really dug into it. Um, and you kind of touched on it. You said, you know, your goal isn't 100% rely, you know, uptime reliability because, uh, you know, all nines forever, it becomes increasingly expensive, sort of uh, inc- uh, un- unreachably expensive, if you will, and, and, right. and the odds of you getting it right. But there's there's some budgets that you guys talk about in terms of kind of failure budgets or, um, you know, sort of the concept of like, we know there's going to be failure. We want to measure, you know, kind of the ends of that. And then you you do some things to experiment around those budgets, if I, if I remember right. Yeah, so we, we talk about an error budget, an error budget policy, and also as the lowest consequences. So let me explain those concepts a little bit. Uh, so if you say, okay, we cannot achieve 100% of availability, just just speak availability, but really right. objectives can be about, you can talk about freshness of a data set or correctness of a data set. But availability, let's just talk about that indicator, that objective to make it easy, because you can also include latency, right? Uh, but anyways, um, an error budget is 100% minus your goal. So let's say I know I can have this service or um, the customers are not going to be unhappy if the service is offering no better than 99% of uptime. And we can talk about ways to measure that, right? But anyways, um, let's just assume that I have a customer base that is okay with 99% of uptime. Okay. We talk about the error budget is 100% minus 99. So that's 1%. A narrow budget policy is what happens if you violate that one hundred, that one percent over the, the 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 time window that you have. This delays, by the way, doesn't need to be part of your contract. This is only internal. How you're tracking, how you're approaching the business internally. Your SLA tends to be a lot, quote unquote, looser than that, right? Because the SLA tends to, if you violate your SLA, there's a financial credit, some kind of penalty to the business. Mm-hmm. So you want to put the internal SLO line to be much more strict than what you have in your SLA. In terms of testing error budgets, we then do a lot of um, what some folks out there are talking about, chaos engineering, which we internally talk about their disaster recovery testing, to run services at SLO, which means, well, think of like a chain of three or four services piled up. One is A is calling B, B is calling C, C is calling D. Let's go and test running C at SLO to see what happens to B and A on top. Uh, so that's kind of common concept that we talk about internally of like, let's run a disaster recovery test and let's run C at SLO to see what happens. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Um, and, it, and I think it's a good framing because it starts to help people understand, um, you know, there is – you know, there is the opportunity for, um, you know, for, for some work, you know, kind of, kind of to better explain to people, like, 
you know, you will have some downtimes. There are some costs that are associated with trying to fix them, but there are ways that we can, you know, kind of explore that. But I, I like the way that you frame it. It's it's always in the context of what's the, the customer's objective, what's the business objective, um, and making sure that, you know, the thing you're delivering is going to, to meet their demands, not some just internal number for internal number's sake. Right. Yeah. One thing important to add to that, like the 1% error budget that I was saying, the policy, like what do you do if there's like a, if you go beyond 1% in a given period of time that you established? We don't talk about per customer. So I'm not saying, oh, you should be okay for every customer to have 1% failure. This is not per customer. This is over uh, sets of customers. Sure. You can, you can eventually establish per customer SLOs as well. Yep. It's actually a good practice. But initially people start talking about overall customer uh, overall error budget, overall failure rate yep. that your customer can tolerate. Um, yeah, and it's uh, we can also add uh, information to the notes. We have a good one, I think, a good uh, uh, article on tuning up your SLIs to align those SLIs and SLOs with um, business metrics. So gotcha. customer happiness, basically. Excellent, excellent. We'll, we'll work on uh, getting that in the show notes as well if we can find it. Um, one of the things I've, I've heard about about the SRE model uh, at Google um, and, and this may extend to other locations or other companies and so forth that have adopted it, is even within Google, um, while you've worked on lots of different projects and different services, um, SRE isn't necessarily like always in every uh, every development group. Sometimes, you know, they, they almost have to request that SRE be part of something. Um, is that necessarily the case still? And, and if it is the case, how do you avoid... Um, you know, them looking at you as being like, oh, okay, we, we can just throw stuff on the other side of the wall and, and Gustavo's SRE team will fix stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's also a, a, a very good one. Um, it, you're correct that like we don't have an SRE team per service or per product because that's not a good way to scale. We talk about sublinear scale of um, every group, right? But, you know, also SRE, um, you don't want to necessarily have this one-to-one map because the more you grow, the more you add services, the more you add teams. And this is not just true for Google, it's true for any company, right? So the right. more you add anything to your business customers, you don't want to tie any of that to like, oh, I need to add an SRE team now that we have 100 more customers. So that's not how we think about creating SRE teams. But uh, from my experience in terms of avoiding that problem you described, people throwing things uh, over the wall to like, oh yeah, Gustavo's SRE team is going to handle that. It's, I think, the combination of having buy-in from senior management and service-level objectives. That's why we talk so much about SLOs, uh, because it tends to smooth all the discussion between uh, development velocity. If I can tell the developers, hey, you're free to launch more often because you're not burning your SLO, you're not burning your whole budget, um, go ahead and do the things you want to do back to, like, DevOps principle, right? Like, they building to uh, be involved at all. So many, many servers, uh, not manage themselves, but they can have the developers and back to the developers acting as DevOps. Gotcha. No, and I, and I like that. I, I really like that that there is... Uh, to quote-unquote handle every process. Gotcha. Yeah, no, and I, and I like that. I, I like the, the, the idea that there really is a kind of a two-way communication, two-way relationship between between the teams and that there's there's a framework for how to have that conversation. It's not sort of a linear pipeline or a linear set of work it's it's going to be uh, kind of bi-directional i like that a lot um I, I, go ahead i was gonna say yeah you, you can you, you, back to the story like i was i was saying at the top right like i'm helping uh companies uh starting as organizations or adopt story best practices you can adopt several story best practices 
with our asset laws. The thing is, I've seen many, many teams and, and companies failing because then they don't have, they don't get to asset law, they don't start with asset laws. And then those discussions, exactly those problems start to arise, right? So then it's much harder uh, to prevent folks, you know, developers and the, the, that discomfort between developer and SRE. So that's why we think SLO is key. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I want to, I want to transition a little bit to the, to the CRE concept. Um, cause I know I've had an opportunity, uh, to attend a lot of Google events. Um, the Google culture is, is very strong. Um, but it is, you know, there is a sort of Google way of doing things that I'm sure goes on within the company. Um, can you talk a little bit, I mean, you don't have to get into any sort of customer specifics, but you know, how does that, how do you transition from, you know, Google has done SRE for a while. We've got people with a lot of experience of this to you're now doing it with a customer, um, either helping them build their own team or working with them as they come to Google Cloud. Like, what are some of the things from just purely a culture perspective that you have to work on between Google knowing their culture and how they do SRE and the customer wanting to be better, you know, work with CRE, but having a very different culture than Google? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a that's a very good one. I don't I I don't claim that we have a, a set formula here. It back to your point, it varies per customer. So one thing is being humble, right? Understanding that every customer's culture is different, and learning with them too. Back to the two way street, uh, we tend to sit down and ask them not just about their services uh, and not having just a technical conversation, but also having the the soft skills, the cultural conversation. Like where is their company? in terms of internal culture about like would it be acceptable like it, are your c-levels actives if you're not one of them or your vps if you're not one of them comfortable with the concept of slos and some some companies right they're the the, the technical folks are trying to bring the sre practice in they're going to say no yeah my company's not there yet i need your help i'm trying to get my company there and we work with them too and some other companies like yeah there's buy-in from uh senior leadership and that at that point, right, the, the the concern that we have is okay. You have buy-in for senior leadership. It's top down. Are the uh, production folks or the operational team that you might have today are they buying into that as well, right? Are they buying into that change? Um, it's we, we it's on a case by case basis, basically. I got you. Yeah, and that, and that makes and that makes sense. I think um, you know the the thing that I've always seen with companies, especially as they're they're changing, they will take. Uh, you know, something that is looked at as very much a best practice in the industry. So whether it's the SRE book, because they can get access to it, maybe it's the story of, uh, you know, some of Gene Kim's books, like the Phoenix Project, whatever it might be. And then, yeah, there is this process of adapting it to your culture. And it's like you said, um, sometimes it's it's top down. So the executives have, have a lot of buy-in. Um, in other cases, it's being driven bottom up and they're trying to get executive buy-in, but they really understand the technical problem. I do recommend every single customer is kind of consistent across the board is that we tell the, the customers consistently to pick one application or workflow and one team. We highly recommend, because we haven't really seen success when a customer says, I have five applications, I have 10 workflows and five teams that I could flip to S3 model to flip them all at once. So we say basically canary, right? Gradual rollout, one of these three best practices. You also apply to organizational change here to do one at a time. Uh, and then let's measure, let's assess what is, what's been successful in your company, within your culture, and try to help them to replicate that throughout more teams. 
Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. Uh, you know, make make sure you understand it, figure out where it's going to fit, and failures and and pros and cons makes makes total sense. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit again. Um, <clears throat> talk about you mentioned. Um, you know, we're seeing some of these these new concepts technology wise, things like AI ops and uh, chaos engineering can can come into play. Uh, in a positive way uh, to try and make applications more robust, make environments more reliable. Um, you know, how can how can SRE or CRE play a role in in helping that? Both from a you know introducing those types of technologies into uh, you know reliability, but also kind of educating people on you know th- this isn't just pure craziness. There is a, a structure to how these things like chaos engineering actually works. Right, yeah. So, uh, coincidentally, I've done quite a bit of chaos engineering related work here at Google uh, as part of a program that we call uh, DIRT. I think I mentioned uh, this earlier. It's stands for Disaster Recovery Testing. We've been doing this uh, for more than 10 years now. I'm personally not a huge fan of the uh, uh, chaos engineering terms, a pet peeve of mine, because chaos is the exact thing we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Right. But as a grow- growing practice, it, it is super useful. I'm really excited that this is happening. Uh, I believe SRE can uh, contribute to. Uh, those, those reliability slash resilience uh, tests, uh, adding more discipline around it, right? So what is it that we're testing? Uh, what we're doing with the results or side effects of this test? What is the feedback feedback loop that we have or the feedback loops that we have to improve service quality for the customer, right, for the business? And are we refining SLO? So like, do we even have SLO established? Because if you don't have an error budget, if you don't have SLOs, if you don't have goals, are you just breaking things for the sake of breaking things? And I know there's quite a few people that are also thinking in those terms, right? Like, let's not just cause chaos, let's prevent chaos. Um, and if I were to guess here, I think SREs will do a lot more uh, integration work around those chaos engineering runners, right? The software actually running uh, those tests and monitoring, observing, and rollout, right? Or kind of tying all this uh, SRE toolkit, if I may, together, right? To kind of work together. Um, because you think of a service that has established an SLO, I'm running a task. Well, I want to stop that task. It's causing disruption production way before I wipe out all of my error budget for that month or that quarter. Otherwise, I know I'm kind of I'm causing too much customer pain. Yeah, yeah. How how does uh, and again, I, I appreciate the uh, the sort of dislike of the term chaos, but you know it's kind of out there. How do you? How have you found sort of introducing that concept of, of you know, chaos engineering or sort of, you know, reliability engineering, um, you know, works with people that, that haven't really been introduced to it? Is it how do you introduce the concept and how do you get them to to not freak out originally? I and mean, when, when you first hear about it, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're going to kill things in production when they're live. And like, have you found any tips to how to explain it to people um, to sort of make them feel somewhat more comfortable? Yeah, so we tell people that are uncomfortable, basically, uh, you start with uh, role-playing. So run a theoretical test, and uh, it's hard for people to say no to that, right? So it's like, okay, let's not run, let's not use use the software, let's just role-play. So you kind of also exercise instant response, it's called, uh, um, and, and once people get comfortable to the theoretical exercise, it's like, okay, now we... We should have, if you don't have, we should have known production systems, right? So you're staging your canary, your QA environment. Can we run the task there now? So we did a role play. Usually when you do role play, people haven't tested anything yet. They will find a lot of problems to resolve just by role playing. And then we move to known production systems. And then the third stage is, yeah, let's test in production. But then not we don't need to test in all production systems. If we are, have some services in multiple zones, 
uh, let's test in one zone instead of testing in all zones. And it also helps a ton when you get to production testing, back to if you have your robot established, because then you can say, well, we're not going to test way above the customer pain. Some people never get there, right? So some people are like, no, no for production test. I'm going to stop at non-production, and that's what I'm comfortable with. And that's okay. Uh, times multiple services, right? So you got to improve resilience uh, overall. So that's kind of what we've seen over the years here, where you have different services and different teams. Uh, it's kind of a journey, right? So different stages, different tiers of testing. Yeah, yeah, no, and it makes sense. And I, and I think there's, you know, beyond the things that you pointed out, which are really important, um, you know, the role playing aspect, make sure they feel comfortable with it tested in, in non production environments. I, I suspect there's probably a certain amount of just basic education for people that maybe have lived, um, you know, in their own data centers where, you know, the fear of if I lose this really important machine, um, I'm stuck because I can't get another machine really fast. Whereas in the in the cloud, I mean, you literally can get another machine, you know, virtual, uh, virtual instance of something, I mean, almost immediately, and you can put it anywhere you want to. So there's almost also, I would suspect the, the education you've got to do about explaining to them that the cloud is different. It doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's got a little more flexibility than maybe you were used to in the more physical on-prem data center world. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, you can build highly reliable systems on top of public clouds, but they are fundamentally different than any kind of uh, private data center that that you have so obviously you know as you're doing this reliability work chaos work um you know you're going to get results that come back or you will have broken some things have you found there's certain ways to have conversations with uh, application teams so they understand this wasn't just breaking for breaking sake um you know are, are there po- more kind of positive ways that they'll, they'll look at this or examples that you've seen where um they they really start to embrace the idea that this is going to be built into the system so that the system gets better over time? Yeah, like you need to find uh, the the champions, right, in every team also around those teams that might be resisting the idea. Uh, we're lucky uh, at Google that we have uh, been doing this for more than a decade now. So we have tons of champions throughout the company, right? So if a team is resisting the idea, we have you know, a person that might be either part of the team or around that team that will champion uh, exactly the concepts that uh, I describe and why it's important uh, to test. So my recommendation for folks out there is don't, if you're part of a quote-unquote chaos team within a company, how is it that you're reframing that from it's not about causing chaos, it's about preventing it. And do you have folks on those teams that you're working with, do you have champions, right, that are buying into the concepts and can you convince them first uh, to influence those folks that might be uh, resisting the concept. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I want I want to ask you one last question before we go, and this has been very very interesting, Gustavo. Thank you for for all the time so far. Um, of course, you know, as you're let's say you're onboarding a new customer uh, through the CRE process, um, maybe you know just based on your experience having done this for for quite a while, both CRE and, and SRE. You know, are there are there a couple of things that you always tell people in terms of, look, this is these are some of the positive things that you're going to get out of this this engagement, this process, and and these are the things I hope you you share with the rest of your team so that you understand, you know, why this uh, engagement and this you know attempt to change things is so important. Like, there's sort of like you know two or three things that you're always like, you know, this is what I hope we get out of this. Yeah, I think one thing for. Um 
let me separate from like what uh, so for customers and for like more junior SREs, right? So for like for more junior SREs, what I think they get out of uh, this experience, and I should also mention we also have a, a program for developers to come and to participate in SRE in a rotation fashion, like six to twelve months. They can sit with us and, and do that work. So two or three things that I tell them: what what is it they're gonna get out of this is you're going to learn more about, it's a deep dive on how to run production systems at scale, right? So right at the top. Uh, the second thing on terms of adopting SRE best practices, et cetera, I think you get to learn back to like, we talk so much about SLOs. There is also blameless postmortems. There is a ton of in the SRE best practice that can be summarized as failing is okay. And honest mistakes are fine. So I also tell that to, uh, to more junior SREs. And I, I also tell the same thing to customers, just that customers are starting SRE organizations. What I tell them is it's likely that you're going to learn a lot more about your business. And of course, if they already know a ton about the business, if they already know a ton about the customer and they're quote unquote, just running production, they can connect the dots, right? But it's that experience of if you're thinking of this as I'm just going to sit here and run the production systems and I can ignore the customer side of things or um, I can ignore other aspects of the business, that's not how SRE sees it. So that's what I would tell like a customer leader. Um, you either know a ton about your customer and your business or you're going to know, you're going to have to know to link that to SLOs, zero budgets and production. Uh, and those things are linked together, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, if you're a business, you're trying to have provide a good customer experience, you cannot be completely disconnected and just think that, oh, I'm operations, business and sales are separate, and there's a developer team uh, building features, and I just need to do ops. That's not how SRE approaches the problem at all. Yeah, no, and I think that last point is just so incredibly important. It's, um, you know, like you said, you may think that what you're doing is is really just focus on the technology, make sure it's work, make sure it works, make sure you're super knowledgeable about it. But, um, I, you know, I think that, sort of dual focus on what is the what what is this technology ultimately doing how is it impacting the business how does it impact your customers is is so important to have you know top of mind for people uh, I, I think it's it's great that, that you guys make that a, a key point of of how you teach the process and how you help people learn from stuff um, listen I, you know I want to wrap it up with that Gustavo um, thank you so much for the time today folks um, Gustavo is going to be you know giving or talking about a lot of these similar topics uh, at the velocity conference in June in San Jose um, so if you get a chance to get out there it'd be great um, it, we will have some discount codes in the show notes if folks want to attend the event um, O'Reilly's been a great partner with us, so we're very, very excited to work with them. Uh, Gustavo, you know, if there's some folks who may want to, you know, engage with you, um, you know, maybe ask some questions about some of the things we talked about today, are there good ways for them to maybe get in touch with you or, uh, you know, other places where maybe you may be speaking about this in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So be, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stratus. Uh, I will also be at Google Cloud Next in April. Uh, we'll have the uh, Fifth Night Lounge again, so the, the Google SRE Lounge for helping to uh, coordinate some of the activities. And I'm also at SRE Con late March. Excellent. Very, very cool. Well, listen, folks, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I, I know, you know, for myself, it was, uh, I've been wanting to dig into the SRE space, the CRE space quite a bit more. Um, you know, I've had a chance to read parts of the book, but it's great to talk to somebody who who lives and breathes this every day. So Gustavo, thank you so much for your time again today. Um, folks, thanks as always for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating the show on iTunes. And for that, uh, we're going to wrap it up. We will talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 